Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Miss the show? No problems on Point No on the podcast. The Kielbergers testify again and make very clear that they are the victims here of a political hit. Mental health and our kids, there's a real crisis underway with skyrocketing uh, statistics that are out now on things like suicide rates and depression. Question is, why are those making all these decisions that are hurting our kids not worried about this collateral damage? And the Prime Minister says, take whatever vaccine you can get, but with a number of European countries not giving AstraZeneca, I think he's going to have to say a lot more than that. Let's get talking. Getting through to you. That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. For the last nine months, we have sought to be measured in our comments for the good of a children's charity, however, has been destroyed by political crossfire. Today, we are taking a stand. We have been disappointed in the conduct of all political parties in this matter. Kilbergers didn't show up by choice, but they did make clear they are the victims of a political witch hunt. The Ontario Hospital Association says, we are in wave three. And then Dr. Williams says, well, we won't know if we're in wave three until we're actually in it. Uh-huh. But here we are watching a number of European countries go back into lockdown. And we're told that we'll know later this week if yet another predictable lockdown is coming. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But speaking of lockdown, the Kilberger brothers were locked into their second round of testimony this afternoon. And uh, it was quite something to see. They had their lawyer on hand. And I don't think they did themselves many favors because they were very smart. They got very small, you know, smarmy, dodging and weaving pretty much every straightforward question they got asked. But from the second they started speaking, they made it very, very clear that they are the victims of a political witch hunt and that they were thrown to the wolves by their once very well-paid buddy, Justin Trudeau. This is a political scandal for the government, not we charity. The government hid behind a children's charity by letting it take the fall for their political decisions. And the opposition allowed them. Well, it is clear there's no more love between the Wee Boys and Mr. Trudeau, but um, it is the opposition's job to find out if illegal lobbying was at play, especially the kind that would result in, let's say, oh, I don't know, a half billion dollar sole source contract that would have given these little darlings 45 million bucks. And so there were some very heated exchanges, including one with uh, Pierre Polyevre, who accused at one point the, the brothers of perjury. And then he wanted to kind of, he was really trying to drill down on how many hundreds of thousands of dollars was paid to the Trudeaus. And he also wanted to know, are you under investigation? Have either of you been contacted by the RCMP? We've previously spoken on this matter. You can have keep you, asking as often as you like. Have either of you been contacted by the RCMP? We've previously spoken on this question. No, you haven't. You said you haven't been contacted about Mr. Angus's letter. Have you been contacted about the by the RCMP for any other purpose? Yes or no? 
Two of us have not been contacted by the RCMP. Period. We have not been contacted by the RCMP. We understand Mr. Angus has put a letter in the public domain. Has, uh, have you been contacted by the Office of the Ethics Commissioner? Yes. Hmm. So they never really clearly answered if they have been contacted by the RCMP. They were very, very careful to say they aren't aware. I mean, they were lawyered up, and so they gave lawyerly answers. But why would the ethics commissioner get in touch? Well, because the WE charity had dozens and dozens of meetings with several liberal MPs, with the finance minister, with his staff, and they weren't registered lobbyists. And, well, that's illegal. Don't you think... You would have saved yourselves a lot of trouble if you had simply registered to lobby with your board of with your director of government relations, with the manager of government relations, with you, Craig, handling all the negotiations with your chief of staff paid for by we charity. Don't you think through the chair that it would have been just a lot better to register to lobby? Mr. Chair, we've shared with Mr. Angus that we would have been open to registering to lobby at any point, but volunteers cannot register to lobby. Mr. Chair, the challenge we have here is Mr. Angus has said many false statements during his remarks. For the context of the committee to help Mr. Angus with his false statements, we've posted 101 false statements that Mr. Angus has shared oh, okay. on our website. And we invite Sorry, you Chair. To Sorry, Chair. Sorry, Chair. Uh, I know they get very upset when anyone else uses Twitter, but the fact that they made all their claims on their website is irrelevant to the question, which is about the Lobbying Act and the fact that they've set this organization up, that it was Bill Morneau that the minister that Craig Kielberger contacted, Bill Morneau, who they hired his daughter. They promoted the other daughter with her book on their stage. They paid $41,000 uh, to fly them around the world. These were personal connections. So when they needed money and he writes, he, he does not deal with the finance department. He goes directly to the finance minister of a G7 country and calls him by his first name. That is lobbying. Mm-hmm. No kidding. And uh, the Wee Brothers made no... <laughs> No secret of their disdain for Charlie Angus, who was very effective during these committee hearings. And um, he asked, you know, why were you getting in touch with Ben Chin, who's running the finance minister's office through LinkedIn and thanking him for crafting this program? I mean, I mean, there's <laughs> the bottom line is they didn't register to be lobbyists and they were supposed to. And they did so after the fact. But here's where I think it gets more damaging for the brothers, certainly in the public eye. Politically, there's the political issue. But in the public eye, it comes down to a lot of questions about things like donor plaques, in particular of a U.S. donor named Reed McCowan, who just put out a video, a very compelling video, speaking about his uh, four-year-old son who had died tragically. And after his death, Wesley's death, he raised millions, millions of dollars across the United States for we, so that he could build schools in his son Wesley's name. And, and then, all of a sudden, he learns that the plaque on the school is swapped out for another donor. And so he got, he, they got grilled on this today. What he told this committee, was it true? As we shared in our opening remarks, um, Mr. Cowan, uh, first of all, we're heartbroken about what happened 15 years ago. A plaque was uh, changed. Um, very unfortunately, uh, one of two plaques um, for a school that was built in Kenya, four schools in total were built. Um, two had plaques and one was unfortunately changed. And uh, we were looking into it. We actually created a board committee to 
find out what happened. We're taking this very seriously. Um, we, we really would like to understand and to make sure that he has all the information on this topic. We were able to react and apologize, but we've, of course, got much more to do. What, what do you now make of the December article in Bloomberg where staff joked that we plaques should be made of Velcro because they were swapped so frequently? I know it was initially the response was that that's not happened. What, what do you make of staff saying that now? We understand that two cases have been identified um, in that same village at the same time about 15 years ago. And, and we want to research it. We want to get to the bottom of it. It shouldn't have happened. But why would a plaque ever be taken down, I guess, is the part I, I just I, I've tried to think it through, but I, I just can't really figure out the answer to that. One. I agree with you. It should never have happened. I, I'm it, 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 you know, we made a mistake. So there is a mistake that was made in the organization involving that man's plaque. And the, one of those two plaques should not have been taken down. You're absolutely right. And that's why I called him and I apologized. We publicly apologized. Um, and we know that that's something that we need to get to the bottom of. Okay. So like a mistake happens once, right? But the allegations leveled by Mr. Reed Cowan is that it happened more than once. And there have been other donors who have come forward with similar concerns. And that's why he, Mr. Cowan, not Charlie Angus, called for the IRS and for the RCMP to investigate for allegations of fraud. You didn't take the plaque down once. You took it down twice. Because he went back in 2008 and wanted to see the building. We have the TV footage. Uh, and your staff did everything they could to keep him from getting to that building. And finally, he insisted because it was his son's school. And he went back, and it was a different plaque. You'd thrown the first plaque out, and you put a second plaque up. So then you took that plaque down and put somebody else's plaque up. So to follow up on Mr. Erskine Smith's comments about staff, your staff joking about this, we have articles in Bloomberg about this. We've had Fifth Estate. The fact that you took that plaque down twice shows this wasn't an accident. This was willful. You sold and you got Mr. Cowan to take his son's death and legacy and, and build a story across America. And then when he was gone, you gave that school to someone else. How do you justify that? So firstly, um, what you described was not accurate, but, but here's where I agree with you. That was accurate. It's, he has footage of it. We've seen the pictures of the plaque. I know you've got a hundred and some things about all the wrong stuff I've said. It's actually quite the, I love it. I'm, I'm reposting your gaslighting, but I have the photos of the plaques. You put, you had to go out and buy a cheap knockoff plaque as you threw the first one out. That's two plaques. These are the allegations that are against you. And those are to answer that. And that's why we are looking into them. I am I am with you on this. I'm not fighting you on this, or I agree with you. This is this is serious. This is why even though yes. it's years and ago. I've spoke to many of your former staff who say that you guys put on a show for donors. It was about selling them on that emotional tag, that they talked these jokes about donor uh, velcro plaques. You know, it was Mr. Cowan who's asked for a police investigation. I just forward his concerns to the RCMP. It was Mr. Cowan who believes that he was defrauded. All right, so did they answer all the questions? I would say strategically they tried to, but um, me thinks it's just the start of their problem. So we're going to talk about this as to where it goes next, because there is still a lot more to this. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. If today is anything like our committee appearance nine months ago, you will make your speeches 
denounce us, ask your questions, answer them yourself, and then ignore her answers. And as you do, we will. And that would be the Kielberger brothers, always the victim. Always the victim, those boys are. But they took a second grilling today before the Ethics Committee, despite every attempt of trying to get out of appearing. And they made very clear today in their um, testimony that, yes, they were the victims here, that their charity had been destroyed by partisan politics, and that this was a Trudeau government scandal, and they were just the scapegoat. But uh, while they gave what I th thought were very strategic answers, the question is, you know, did we get anything new? You know, did we get clarity on if they broke the rules, if the Trudeau government broke the rules, if the RCMP is even investigating? There's still, I think, a lot to pick apart out of today's testimony. So let's pick it away. Michael Barrett is joining me, of course, conservative ethics critic, and he was part of today's proceedings. Good to have you. Thanks for having me on. So this is eight hours of testimony now that we have from the Kielberger brothers, both Mark and Craig. What did you um, think that we learned today that we wouldn't have known before? Well, it's uh, it's really tough to to learn new things uh, when you get to obfuscation and evasion from uh, the witnesses that are appearing before the committee. It's important to note that they were appearing because they were given a legal summons to appear. They had initially said that um, it, though we had spent months, months, you know, trying to accommodate their schedule, that, uh, uh, you know, they, and at the 11th hour, when we finally had a date nailed down, that uh, they said, no, we're not going to come, and if you, if you serve as a summons, we still won't come. But sure enough, they did once that summons was issued. Um, so I asked them multiple times if there was an RCMP investigation or if they had been questioned by the RCMP with respect to uh, the Canada Student Service Grant. And we got very uh, indirect and, uh, you know, basically they, they, they wouldn't answer the question. Uh, and, then, and then ultimately said, if I want to know, I need to ask the RCMP. So, uh, so that's not an answer. Uh, and, and if anything, it's, um, it's not a positive sign. Uh, but does speak to why they had a lawyer uh, sitting directly next to them. So, uh, so that that's certainly interesting. But we didn't we don't know we didn't get an answer, and so we were there for answers. We asked them about the connection between, you know, a, a senior uh, a senior official in, in the prime minister's office who whose name what people will recall from the SNC Lavalin scandal, and that's uh, Mr. Ben Chin. Uh, mm -hmm. And there was. You know, uh, one of the Kielbergers had said, uh, no, no, none, neither, neither of us have ever spoken to him. And uh, sure enough, uh, my colleague Pierre Polyev was able, able to produce a, a LinkedIn message uh, between them. But, oh, no, I didn't actually write that. It was my assistant who wrote it. And so, again, uh, we see that there's a connection. We see that there's, you know, uh, we need to keep digging, but uh, we didn't get the definitive, uh, the definitive answers that we were looking for. Yeah, and there was a reason they had their lawyer, and a guy named Guy Giorno, and he's not just any lawyer, he's a guy who specializes in, uh, if I'm correct, corruption and lobbying and things like that. So there's a reason they have brought him in, it, and, and one of those would be that they are accused in part of illegal lobbying. And so I think the real only clarity we got when you guys were pressing on the RCMP, which they were very strategic with how they didn't answer it, but, but we did find out that, yes, they are speaking with um, the ethics commissioner. And that's because they've been accused of, you know, going back and forth. I mean, they had more meetings with members of this government than, I mean, probably members of the government have had. I think there were like 18, 19 meetings. And then after the fact, which was really cute, 
you know, after the fact when they had been caught, then they registered to become lobbyists right. when they knew that they were being watched. And so there, there is there is still, you know, they've got to go through the ethics commissioner for that part of the investigation. I'm not sure how long it's going to take him to do that. But, you know, that to me um, is very much relevant because they had such access to Bill Morneau, to staff, like you say, Ben Chin. They had so much access to this government um, and it never seemed to bother anybody. No, and, that, and that's right. It, it's it's incredibly concerning that uh, these uh, these guys and their uh, and their affiliates were able to have a limitless numbers of uh, contacts with uh, the, the most senior people in government, they in uh, unprecedented access to the halls of power. And today they said, well, you know, we couldn't uh, we couldn't register for lobbying. Uh, we you know we're we're mm-hmm. just uh, we're just you know, regular guys, and uh, that we're a bit of an upstart here. We're just looking to help people, and you know, we we wouldn't really know where to where to begin. Well, they had a they had um, you know a government relations person on staff. They uh, they seemed uh, like they had quite this uh, quite a campaign mounted, a coordinated campaign to lobby the government. Um, but they said that they weren't lobbying the government. So uh, it's. You know, they were being too cute by half today. And uh, it's really disappointing because, you know, while they wanted to play, uh, you know, play the, the victim card, I think that, um, you know, we we have a real problem here when Canadians can't get answers uh, into uh, a scandal where the the Trudeau government awarded a sole source half billion dollar deal to an organization that had paid members of his family uh, a half a million dollars. And uh, and these guys didn't want to give a straight answer and, and you know, uh, said they were the victim. I would remind your listeners that uh, mm-hmm. this summer when we were asking questions like, well, how much have you, you know, uh, media asked them, how much has your organization, um, you know, paid or, or given benefit to members of the Trudeau family? They said nothing. There's been no payments, no benefit. And the prime minister's mm-hmm. office said the same thing. So they're in lockstep on their comms with PMO. And then they, the doors get blown blown wide open and we find out oh wait oh actually that was a rounding error it was a half million dollars that they benefited. yeah oops we forgot that half million yeah and not to mention and i don't think it's widely known um their rental properties in toronto they own what 40 million dollars worth of um, massive pieces of real estate in downtown toronto the taxpayers were on the hook for 600 grand worth of uh rent is that is that new information because i don't recall ever hearing that um and that would have been separate correct yeah, so some of the details... Like why, were, why would we be paying that? Well, exactly. That's, that's, that's the question. And, and these are details that we weren't privy to uh, before when they appeared before committee because some of this came out in that heavily redacted document dump. But they were going to be looking for, you know, more than half a million dollars in, in rent relief for buildings that they owned. Well, that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound very charitable of them, shall we say. Yeah, and that's yeah. That's not exactly why um, that program was set up. Um, but you know, I think one of the the while the politics of this w- will get a lot of play in certain areas. To me, as a as the everyday person, I think what really will end up getting them the arrogance is of this, you know, alleged donor manipulation and this really damning, um, you know, testimony that was heard by uh, Mr. Reed uh, McCowan from the United States, whose little boy Wesley um, had died. He spent a 
a fortune of his time fundraising in the United States to, you know, raise money to build schools in his little boy's name. And then he found out after the fact that the the plaque was removed and swapped out. And then we've heard other donors have come forward with those same kinds of allegations. And he's actually called for the FBI or the IRS and the RCMP to launch an investigation as to whether or not, you know, he he's alleging fraud, but you know, are they swapping out plaques to the point where it was actually kind of a joke with the staff where they were Velcro plaques, you know, put one up, take one down, put one up. But that to me is where the public will really take a curiosity as to whether their goodwill has been taken advantage of and whether or not their money and their hard work um was part of a of a game. Right. And and this speaks to uh, you know, the government's lack of due diligence when uh, awarding this sole source deal worth uh, half a billion dollars of taxpayer money. Um, were any of these inquiries made about the about the work that they were claiming that they had done? And, and was, were there inquiries about uh, any impropriety that, that may have occurred? Because um, this the question about uh, about allegations of double matching donations and misleading donors, th- this type of thing, um, we just keep hearing from more and more and more people who are making these these same allegations. So, you know, one woman who uh, or one individual who who bought a uh, a instead of buying a headstone for uh, for their late spouse, um, mm-hmm. bought a you know made a contribution to to the the Kenyan school effort, and then found out that uh, the plaque had been removed there, and so. Uh, these folks, you know, I don't, I don't understand what their motivation would be to to uh, create, fabricate a story like that. And so when these allegations come forward, um, we're saying, you know, who is it that the government was planning to to partner with in, in administering this program? And what would that partnership have done to, the, you know, the Canadian brand, the brand of the, the Canadian government? What confidence can Canadians have in uh, in the stewardship of this uh, this huge sum of money when Canadians are having a tough time? you know, making ends meet within a couple hundred dollars of insolvency during a global pandemic with businesses shut down. And we're just going to hand over half a billion dollars to an organization uh, solely because, uh, you know, uh, they they put on cool shows and, and the prime minister, uh, the prime minister and his family have a relationship with them. So where does this go from now? I mean, will they get called again? I mean, we still haven't heard from the uh, chief financial officer, Victor Lee. Is he getting called? I mean, where does this go now? So we will we will expect to get some answers from uh, from Mr. Lee. Uh, the, the form that that'll take is you know it's to be finalized or to be determined. But um, we we do ultimately have to provide a report to Parliament, and uh, we're in a position we're in a bit of a tough position, I'd say, because we don't know uh, when uh, how long this how long this Parliament will last when the when the Prime Minister will call an election. Uh, last summer we were. We were put in a bad spot when Parliament was prorogued, and we had to start a lot of our work over again. And uh, so we do want to we do want to put a report forward. There's still some more work uh, to happen, but this stuff needs to be uh, tabled in Parliament. So we want to do that, and uh, we still need to hear from the Ethics Commissioner, whose uh, whose report, the Trudeau Report Three and the Morneau Report, are due imminently. And, uh, of course, we're watching very closely to see what the lobbying commissioner. And now we have questions for the RCMP uh, because the Kielbergers say that maybe they have some information for us. It would be nice if they ever uh, reared their heads in uh, this country at some point. Well, we'll stay tuned and see what happens. I appreciate your time on this. Thanks so much, Alex. Michael Barrett, who is the ethics critic, is actually really interesting to watch. And um, boy, man. 
They are arrogant. I got to tell you, it does them no favors. None. But we'll, uh, we'll see where this goes. No question. There's lots more to come on this one. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio. Going to school, uh, hanging out with friends, playing sports, dancing at the prom. Um, all those things were just part of being a Canadian teen, of course, until COVID-19 hit. And those experiences have now been taken away. And it may not seem like a big deal to people, but these are the kinds of things that you look back at at life, these experiences of your childhood, and they can't be duplicated. And now we're starting to get the data in from the second wave of this pandemic and what the effects of shutdown measures are having on kids. And three of Ontario's largest children's hospitals have all seen spikes in youth suicide, self-harm, uh, eating disorders, and obviously the child and youth mental health visits have increased so much so that they're seeing quadruple the numbers that they would have seen in pre-pandemic times. So the kids might not be getting COVID, but they're suffering mental health issues that are not going to go away once the pandemic stops. Dr. Roger McIntyre joins us. He's a professor of psychiatry and pharmacology at the U of T, head of mood disorders, psychopharmacology unit at the University Health Network. Good to have you. Nice to be with you. Thanks for covering this extraordinarily important topic. Well, it is, I think, going to be a great tragedy that for decades is something that we're going to have to be dealing with. And, and I often wonder, and I think it's getting very frustrating for people, that these health experts that are making all these decisions, are they actually weighing this so-called collateral damage? You know, when we hear of a little girl getting an eating disorder, that doesn't just go away because all of a sudden the pandemic's over. That's something that she or even he will battle for years to come. You know, you, you've summarized it so nicely, and I think that with this terrible pandemic, the so-called black swan event that the global world population has been exposed to, what I have not heard is what the World Health Organization referred to as the definition of health. And mm. according to the World Health Organization, the definition of health is not just physical health, it's mental health and it's social well-being. And this is so critical for people. And there's no doubt about it that this virus has had an extraordinary, incredulous effect on the physical health of the population. And we're only, we're only beginning to learn about the destruction that this has had. But this isn't just destruct, destroying people's physical health, it's mental health. And as you said, this is something that, you know, vaccines are not going to correct overnight. And we're already beginning to see, you know, waves of mental illness in parts of the world. We're seeing in Japan, for example, an extraordinary rise in suicide in that, pop in, in that country. So you're absolutely correct. We're only beginning to scratch the surface. And history is lessons approach. We know from previous shocks, again, there's no shock like this one, but shocks mm -hmm. that are just, you know, uh, uh, you know, lesser than this, that being the Great Recession, the Asian financial crisis, even the so-called Spanish flu, which everyone's been educated mm -hmm. on, all of these events resulted in significant increase in mental illness. So this is, this is not a new story. This is, a, this is repeating, but this is a grand scale we've never seen before. Yeah, and we haven't got really, I think, the data from this second hit and being through that dark winter of school closure. So I don't think we've seen quite the data from that yet. But we're already talking about a third wave and more potential closures, which I think every parent is trying to fight against because it, it, the kids are so far behind in school. 
And they are so anxiety-ridden that another lockdown, I fear to think what that will do, or even the cancellation of summer camps, the cancellations of grads, proms, all these cancellations that will come along with it. Uh, you know, these are not things that we can just reverse. They're not. And these are not just events. These are all aspects about a person's life story. And you know what happened in 2020? If you spoke to most Canadians, there's a chapter missing from their book. 2020 didn't exist. And yeah. there's a chapter. And what we are is we're a set of chapters. And imagine you're reading a book and it's missing a couple of chapters. It just is such a loss. And people are, in fact, these are, especially in younger years of life, uh, you know, you have you know, personality development, you've got your school, you've got many, you know, you're obviously training for your career in life. There's relationship formation. Uh, uh, all these things are critical to human development, human identity. And they're all off, what we call off trajectory. They're off the rail right now. And this is along with what we're hearing about some of the difficulties and, you know, academic achievement, literacy, numeracy, children falling behind. Now, the other part about this, which for me has been very, very concerning, is what prefaced this entire pandemic, and that's the loneliness pandemic around the world. You know, what's interesting about this conversation is that I think most people now know, because everyone's gotten a minor degree in immunology the last year, most mm-hmm. people now know that the elderly population is especially susceptible to yeah. physical complications and death from COVID. But what's less well-known is actually the elderly are doing much, much better than our younger population from a mental health perspective. The younger people are doing much worse. And part of this is what you've just identified. Uh, and, you know, it depends on what age we're talking, but they're, they're not in school, they're not in their camps, they're uh, not involved in other activities. Along with that, children and young adolescents had extraordinary rates of loneliness coming into this pandemic. In other words, feeling alienated, feeling they have no meaningful connections, and loneliness itself is bad for your mental and physical health. And that's what mm-hmm. came into this. So, so you have this, you know, whenever we have um, two epidemics or pandemics occurring at the same time, we call that a syndemic, S-Y-N, syndemic. We have a syndemic. We've got this terrible situation with COVID in the fallout along with this loneliness pandemic. So it's really been a disaster for our young people. Here's what I think we need to really think as citizens caring for deeply about our population. I think the time is yesterday, frankly, but it's now, today. We've got to prioritize mental health. We've got to prioritize mental health in the way that people can access high-quality psychiatric first aid, and that should be the legacy of this COVID-19. This has been an ugly, ugly situation, this whole COVID. But that would be one silver lining that this population, this country Canada, this rich country Canada, actually can come out of this with a psychiatric first aid. Canadians are fed up, frankly, of the mental health care system in this country. How discoordinated it is, they can't access it, they can't get good quality care. The time is now. And I hope this is what's coming out of this, because the kids need it, the whole population needs it. But our children are just in a terrible situation right now. Yeah, and even if there is a third lockdown, I think a lot of parents are going to push back against it just because having some normal in their kids' lives is is worth the risk because, you know, to, to, to punish them more for something a lot of the younger ones certainly don't understand it is going to have such long consequences throughout life, um, you know, in how they develop relationships 
in how they cope uh, cope with with challenges. It's not about cradling them, but th- this has just the damage. I mean, can it be reversed? I think it can. I, I think that there is a tremendous risk, and you and I have been underscoring that. You know, with the loneliness pandemic, with the you know loss of school, the loss of their social. Uh, opportunities and, and so on. That's obviously all a loss, but there are resiliencies and there are things yeah. that we can do. First of all, let's get this vaccine rolled out. Canada has been so slow at rolling the vaccine out. Uh, let's get the Don vaccine rolled out. Canadians should be vaccinated as soon as possible. This situation is just facilitating variant production. Secondly, what we've got to do is we've got to, in fact, get the kids back to school um, I would be in agreement with the hospital for sick kids in Toronto's view on this. The kids got to get back to school as soon as possible, and I hope that public health officials can work cooperatively, you know, with uh, you know, with schools and so on. That's important. Um, but I also think that you know, you know, let's face it, that this has been a terrible time, but we know that resiliency can take place if we can get kids back into their usual lives as soon as possible. And yeah. the good news is, although on t- television. And, you know, we always hear on radio and television how many cases. We don't hear how many vaccines are happening. And we need once the vaccines are out there, and more positive news, and the kids can get back on trajectory. The other thing is, is that there has been some programs. And I commend the government at the provincial and national level for providing and stepping up some of the psychiatric services uh, for younger people and older people. But we're talking about younger people right now. And I think that's worthwhile. Here's what I'm concerned about, though. Despite the fact that you know there's been an uptick in use of some of these services, it's not even remotely what it should be. I talk to psychiatrists all across the country, all across USA as well. They say to me, "Hey, Roger, where's all the patients? This is a terrible yeah. time we're at." You know, so I don't think people are reaching out and engaging the services as much as they need to. The services are there, and they can protect. This is not an ineluctable event that people have to be, you know, uh, mentally ill and suffering from suicidal thinking and terrible things like that. There are treatments, and there are, in fact, ways people can be supported. Yeah, it's a matter of getting the um, almost like a concierge service to link the patient to the help because it is there. We'll continue talking about it. I do talk about it quite often on this show because I don't want this issue to be ignored. So I appreciate your insight. I'm really glad you're covering it. Thank you very much. 100%. Dr. Roger McIntyre joining us here. Uh, and of course, I talk. I talk about it because I mean, and I can only talk about it through the eyes of my child. But if he's going through what he's going through, and I think I've got it pretty good, I can't imagine what some other parents and their kids are going through. So I do think we absolutely should be talking about it. Stay with us here, Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. Health Canada uh, and our experts and scientists have spent an awful lot of time uh, making sure that every vaccine uh, approved in Canada is both safe and effective. Therefore, the best vaccine for you to take is the very first one that is offered to you. That is how we get through this uh, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. All righty. That was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this morning saying, just put whatever in your arm. Um, and, you know, that's easy to say, but there are a number of European countries putting pause on AstraZeneca. So I'm not sure just take whatever vaccines offered is actually going to sell because there are a lot of people who are concerned about the vaccines. You know, why are so many European countries pausing it and Canada's just saying everything's fine? I'm sure it is, but I don't know if it's 
I think they're going to have to go a bit further in making sure that people feel confident about it. And we need this vaccine. Can you imagine if we don't have AstraZeneca? It will put us months and months further behind. So I think some clarity is needed because as we're told, we're going into this third wave, albeit Dr. Williams doesn't actually know until we're in it, which is odd. Dr. David Jacobs is chair of the Ontario Specialist Association, Coalition of Ontario Doctors, and president of the Ontario Association of Radiologists. Hello there. Hello. So does it bother you at all um, that that so many European countries have put a pause on this vaccine and Health Canada is just kind of like, let's go? Well, I, I think there are a few things that we have to remember. One is that um, blood clots are a very common condition. Uh, well, not very common. It's about 70 per 100,000. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. not uncommon. Uh, and when you're vaccinating millions of people, uh, you are bound to have some overlap between people who get vaccinated and people who have blood clots. Uh, so it's up to the statisticians to go through the numbers and try and, and tease out uh, whether the vacciner is causing these blood clots. Uh, so I don't, uh, you know, Germany, Italy, all the countries that are putting the vaccine on pause, it's a perfectly reasonable approach. Uh, but by the same token, countries who are saying, nope, full steam ahead, it's also perfectly reasonable. I, we're not seeing large enough numbers where it's obvious to everyone that this is causing blood clots. So uh, the math is is going to uh, almost certainly be on the side of this not being caused by the vaccine, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it's reasonable to, to take precautions. Yeah, it could be a batch. It could be just a portion of that batch. That That's some of the conversation around this. But nonetheless, I think anyone who's got a hesitancy on this will be probably... Uh, a bit scared of this. One thing that really bothers me, and I got a number of emails this weekend from this, so we know that the portals have opened for bookings of those who are 80 years and up, but I have all these emails of people saying, you know, I got my 80, 81-year-old mom in for her first shot, and then we got an email like a couple of days later saying, your second shot's now been delayed until June. I have a big problem with that. This is the most vulnerable part of our, our um, community, um, and and I, I know that they're putting a four-month delay on vaccinations, but but for that age category, too? Well, you make a very good point. I mean, should we not be uh, looking at groups and saying, okay, you're at higher risk, maybe we should protect you uh, fully, and then kind of go on down the line? Now, the problem is, is that 79-year-olds are just as, at uh, the same amount of risk as an 80-year-old. We've got millions of people who are at very high risk. So Well, that's why I don't think they should be doing it with anybody. I mean, but we know and you know that this is being done for politics. And, and for whatever reason, we're just kind of like, okay. Well, you know, it's half politics and, 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 and half uh, science. They're saying, okay, well, you get good response from one shot. Maybe good has to be good enough right now. Now, uh, I get angry about that because good enough, you know, good enough shouldn't be good enough for our, for, for Canada. Uh, and we yeah. had options and we didn't take them. But now we're, we're stuck with the poor decisions that the Trudeau government made for us in terms of procurement. And that's the reality that we have to live with. So given that reality, um, you know, delaying the shot, okay, that's the best of a ba- of a bunch of bad choices. I just want people to remember who gave us those bad choices, and those bad choices were brought to you by the Trudeau government. 
God help us if Canada becomes the country that creates a a resistant strain because they you know watered down the delivery of vaccines and then we've got this superbug that's resistant to vaccines. We will not be very popular around the world. Well, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> Well, it won't for you because you got vaccinated with the good stuff. But, you know, I think this is going to become an issue. So, and, I, and I'm really bothered that certainly for the elderly, they're playing games like this. But um, the other big story is um, so now apparently you've got the hospital association saying we're in the third wave. You've got Dr. Williams saying, well, we don't know we're in the third wave until we're in the third wave. But they're already talking about lockdown measures all across Europe. And now we're apparently going to learn later this week if we're going back into lockdown measures, which I think at that point my head will explode. Well, you know, I'll be... I'll, I'll be there with you with an exploded <laughs> head. Um, here, here are the problems. Uh, you look at the numbers, and uh, my prediction is is that if you're going to say, yes, we're in a third wave. You, you can see the, the numbers are, are creeping up. Uh, you know, they leveled off after the lockdown, and then they started to creep back up. So uh, we're probably going to be declared in a third wave. Uh, the question is, what do we do about it? And that's the question that we've been discussing for the last year. Do we do contact tracing? Do we do uh, yeah. lack of testing? All that stuff. Yeah. Or do we just close everything down and shutter and shutter Canada? Uh, yeah. My best guess is it's going to be shutter Canada again. But I, I really, like I've said throughout this whole thing, that's a last-ditch decision. You should you should be trying to make better decisions. You should be trying to use basic uh, contact tracing, quarantine, all the very basic fundamentals that we haven't been doing is what we should be doing to prevent another lockdown. But here we are. And, uh, you know, my prediction is, is that we're creeping towards another one. <sighs> Whatever. All right, doctor, we'll talk again. <laughs> That's my opinion. Whatever. <laughs> Thanks, doctor. <laughs> Talk to Bye-bye. That is Dr. David Jacobs. If he were running the show... And a few other good doctors, we would not be in this mess. But uh, we got what we got, and here we are. You can join us, of course, Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp here. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.